0: Good morning! Welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10:30 a.m. both online and in person. In person, we have kids' church. We have worship through song, through prayer, and through giving, and through the study of the Word of God. We pray together, like we actually in our service. We pray together. We pray for each other. Uh, we connect as a community. Together. And then throughout the week, we have small groups. And if you want more information, you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com. And our small groups meet in homes, they meet online. We have a small group on Sunday mornings that meets before church starts. We have an online group on Wednesday nights. We have a young adult group on Tuesday nights. Uh, we have youth group that meets every Tuesday at 7 p.m. And then uh, we are looking to start a new small group as well that would meet uh, once or twice a month. Uh, so you can email small groups at faithonhill.com for more information. Uh, if you feel like you want to be connected to the church, you want to be part of the church, but you're an online-only kind of person, that's totally fine. Uh, we do have the online small group. We have our online content, Sunday services, our podcast. But we just want to get to know you. Uh, just shoot me an email, adam at faithonhill.com. We'd just love to know who you are, get to know you, have a relationship with you. Be in community together. We're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, chapter 23. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. But I do want to uh, let folks know about a couple of things going on. As the holiday season comes close, uh, we are once again a drop-off point for the Toy & Joy program. And the Toy & Joy program serves underprivileged kids uh, in our community, and it's run by firefighters and Dave and Janelle Centers, who are part of our church, Dave was a firefighter for many, many years, and uh, they're both part of running it, and so we have partnered with them, and uh, we are a drop-off point if you want to bring toys for kids who just need a little bit of joy this Christmas. Uh, we also do our Backpack Buddies program, and if you don't know what that is, it's a way that we partner with the local schools, and we help uh, support kids who don't have enough to eat. Their main meals aren't dinner time. Their main meals are breakfast or lunch at school. So what happens when the weekend comes? So we try to fill in the gap. Uh, We don't have a food bank. What we do is we do the Backpack Buddies program. So if you want to be part of that, you can also connect with me, Adam at faithonhill.com, and we can let you know, uh, hey, this is how we do it. Um, it's actually easier to do a Costco shop, so if you just want to give uh, to support what's going on there, especially as, you know, inflation's hitting it. Uh, what we budgeted for this year, it's not, it's not quite there, so we'll, we'll have to dip into some other things to make sure we cover it, uh, and that's fine. We're happy to do it because the need is there, and we want to be part of meeting the need in our community. So we're going to be studying Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to be talking about ex-evangelicals. Maybe you know what that is, maybe you don't, but let's talk about it together as we study God's Word. Well, in verse 1, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus shifts who he is talking to. For the last couple chapters and for the last couple weeks, he has been talking to the religious leaders, the chief priests, The teachers of the law, the scribes, the scholars, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's been talking to political leaders. He's been talking to spiritual leaders. They have all been there and been present in the temple courts where Jesus has been after he has publicly declared himself to be Messiah. But now that they have rejected him and he has said, fine, I also reject you. Then he turns his attention to the people and he says this interesting and I think provocative statement. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Jesus makes this statement, these guys that I have just publicly called out, I have publicly said, you have rejected God's messengers, and so God is now rejecting you. He says, they are functionally though, they are the teachers of the law of God. They are the people who sit in the places of authority, and you have to do what they say, but don't do what they do. The title of today's message is, Exvangelicals Are Real. And maybe you say, oh, this will be interesting because you know what that means, and maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. Exvangelicals is a term that was first used in 2016. As near as they can tell, the first time anyone used it was a hashtag on Instagram by a a fellow named Blake Chastain in 2016. And he used the hashtag exvangelicals to talk about people who grew up in the Protestant white evangelical church who have left. They are exvangelicals. And it's sort of a catch-all term. It can mean anything and everything that you want it to mean. And I'm always worried about catch-all terms in our current national conversation. Because catch-all terms then become whatever you want it to mean and then whatever you don't want it to mean all at once. And that's a, that's a sketchy place to be because then I'm defining the conversation instead of letting other people share their stories and listening and engaging and having a conversation. I'm setting the terms instead of having an equal playing field. But there are unquestionably many who have left the church my generation and the generation coming up behind my generation is particularly known for it. I mean, it's, it's just the, the way it is. Millennials, younger Gen X, what used to be called Gen Y, the, the, whatever the generation that we're calling the generation after millennials, they are not going to church. And if they grow up in church, they leave. And not only do they leave, but they are leaving younger and younger. Why is that? Why are people who grew up in evangelical Christian homes, Bible-believing Christian homes, Christian homes that supposedly had all the protections, we we didn't watch the the evil, you know, quote-unquote, coming out of Hollywood. We had our own Christian movies. We had our own Christian books. We had our own Christian music. We had our own Christian subculture to protect us. And yet not only are many from my generation leaving, but many who wrote those books or who made those movies or who produced that music, they themselves now identify as ex-vangelical. Joshua Harris, who actually lived here in the Portland area in his youth for a time, even though he was born in Ohio, and I think he still has family out here in like Gresham or something, but Joshua Harris wrote one of the most influential, and I think unfortunately, influential books of my youth in high school and in college, his book was widely known, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It was incredibly influential. And now he identifies as an ex evangelical. He's renounced his own writings. He, he had an apology tour to say, I, I wouldn't, I, I would not only not say that today, I would say the opposite. When I was uh, in middle school, And in high school, there was no bigger band than DC Talk, a Christian band than DC Talk. And yet, one of the three main members, Kevin Smith, now describes himself as, you know, having left the faith, deconstructed his faith, ex-evangelical. And I could go on, and I could go on, and I could go on. People who were once part of the church people who were once not only part of the church but who were leaders in Christian thought and in Christian culture now do not identify themselves with Christian faith or they will not partake or be part of any sort of organized church expression. Why is that? Could it be what Jesus is talking about here? That the people who sit in the seats of authority are hypocrites. And, and let's say that, you know, I gave a lot of thought to this this week. I read uh, different people's, uh, you know, positions, thoughts uh, about why people leave the church in America today, why people identify as exvangelical, evangelical why people choose to go through what's called deconstruction of their faith, which is to basically take everything that you were taught, everything that you believed, and, and say I'm what do I want to throw out the window and before I get in trouble here I think a certain amount of deconstruction is okay or reconstruction is okay and and I want to have conversations more than I want to tell people what to think here so I'm hoping to just ask questions and to raise points more than to tell you hey this is what you have to do but I think one of the reasons why many have left the church is a lack of church integrity Jesus says, hey, these guys are telling you the right things, but they're hypocrites. And I genuinely believe that that is part of it. That part of the reason why we have seen people walk out of organized church, formal church, is because of hypocrisy. It's, it's because we have seen that over and over and over again. Do one thing, say one thing, and then do another say one thing and then act a different way. Sexual abuse is rampant in the American church. We know that. Hypocrisy is rampant in the American church. Some of our main key leaders, how many have fallen in the last five to 10 years? How how many that we thought, oh man, I mean, in the last year, Brian Houston, who was the global lead pastor of Hillsong. You can't find a more influential church in the world than Hillsong. And he had to step down. And rightly so, he had to step down because of a lack of integrity. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, one of the leading Christian thinkers, philosophers, apologists. It came out that he had all kinds of scandal happening in his life. A few years ago, uh, this doesn't affect our group of churches because we weren't connected with them, but the group of churches that I grew up in and I was previously pastoring in, they were connected with a missions organization called Gospel for Asia. And Gospel for Asia presented this this story of being incredibly austere, and every dime goes to the mission field, and we live lives of simplicity so that everything can go to the mission field and everything can be about preaching the gospel of Jesus, until it came out that at their headquarters in Texas, there was simplicity for some people, but not for others, not for key leaders. Until it came out that they had so much money in foreign bank accounts that they could stop taking donations for the next five years, and it wouldn't change anything. They could run on their normal budget for five years and not collect a single dime. Shocking. And that lack of integrity... I believe, is a, is a contributing factor to why people are walking out of the church. And so when Jesus says, hey, this is going on in his day, I believe he could also be speaking to us in our day. I also believe another reason that my generation and others behind us, or coming up behind us, have, are walking away is this. What is it that Jesus says in verse 4? They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Meaning that the teachers of the law would put all of these rules on people, most of them not actually in the Bible, right? They weren't biblical rules. They weren't things that God had said command the people to do these things. They were things that over the years and centuries scholars and rabbis and and the people had developed these traditions and rules and so then they put these burdens on people if you want to follow god you have to do these 20 things did god say to do any of those 20 things no but they put those burdens on people we are not we are we are actively not a political church but part of being actively not a political church is that we have a diversity of views and that's okay but the problem is is that in large sections of what we might think of as the white evangelical church you are not allowed to be diverse there's a lack of space for a wide range of belief what if you believe that god maybe what if he didn't create the world in six literal days on the seventh day he rested what if that, that is sort of a, a, a metaphor or an allegory? Which, by the way, I tend to believe that God did create the world in six literal days. I tend to believe that. But there, there are many, many people who love Jesus love Jesus, and take the Bible incredibly seriously and believe that the Bible is the word of God and it is authoritative in the lives of all believers and that it contains everything that is necessary for salvation and a life of godliness. And they also believe that God used evolutionary processes to create the world. Is there space for them? This is is what I'm getting at, is that what has happened is If we are honest, lack of integrity and an abundance of hypocrisy have driven some from the church. A lack, I don't like the word safe space because it is this polarizing phrase, but a lack of space has pushed people out. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago. When Jesus cleansed the temple, one of the things that he did was he pushed the money changers out of a space that was supposed to be reserved for the outlier, for the fringe, for the seeker, for those who were just coming in, investigating God. This space was supposed to be a holy place, a place of prayer, a place for those who were not on the inside to enter in. And they had cluttered it up and made it a place of business and convenience for the insiders. And I genuinely believe that The church, I'm speaking broadly, I'm speaking in generalized terms, that the church hasn't created that space. I have had conversations with people who have been so angry and upset at the political views of somebody else, and I've said, okay, you guys disagree about that, but you guys both believe in the same God, you both believe the same things about Jesus. Theologically, you're in total agreement. Why is it you can't have a disagreement about this? I used this example last Sunday, uh, and, and at least in the in-person service, about, you know, do you like roundabouts or do you like stoplights? And afterwards, you know, actually, uh, somebody in the church has really strong opinions about that, and that's totally okay. Um, but we had a conversation about it, and, and it was fine. And you can have disagreements and differing opinions, and there's space for you to be here. You can be old and you can be young. You can be uh, socially conservative. You can be progressive or you can be apolitical. There should be space for you in the church. But there hasn't been. And that space that courted the Gentiles that Jesus cleansed, that space in modern churches is often not there. Now, but what is it that Jesus said? He said, even though they're hypocrites, you do actually need to do what they're saying because that's the word of God. I think part of talking about why people leave the church, why people are now exvangelical, is to have an honesty to say that some people just don't want to believe in Jesus. Some people just don't want to believe in Jesus. And, And maybe we use excuses or covers and you say, well, there were hypocrites over there. And that's valid. They were hypocrites over there. Or they didn't have space for me over there. That's valid. They didn't have space for you over there. But why is it then that you didn't go somewhere where there was space for you? Why is it then that you didn't seek somewhere where there wasn't that hypocrisy? And the truth is because they don't want to do what the Word of God says. And I think it's okay to have honest conversations, just as much as we want to create space for a diversity of views, just as much as we want to create space so that you can be here, and you can be old, you can be young, you can be right, you can be left, you can, you can be modern, you can be traditional, and you can have safety in the church because Jesus loves all people. At the same time, let's have an honest conversation and say that some people leave the church not because of these other things. They, they leave the church because they don't have faith. They themselves do not want to follow the things of God. I think there's a balance to be had in creating spaces where diversity of opinions can be had, in creating spaces where it is safe for somebody to be honest about their doubts, where it is safe for somebody to be honest about their, their fears or their concerns, we can help people work through what is an actual crisis of faith and what's something else. But because we don't have those spaces, people just walk. There are reasons why people leave the church. And I can't control all of them, and neither can you. But what can I control? What can I do? And I can control my own life. I can control in my own world. Do I create safety for people around me? Do I create a a life of, of, you know what, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. This church isn't perfect. You come here, I guarantee somebody's going to do something dumb. Somebody's going to do something you don't like. We're going to have some opportunity to grow as a church family together in some area. But we can work together on these issues. We can be a place where we say, hey, you know what? We're not perfect, but we are open to what is it that God wants to change in us to make us a place that he can use. And then Jesus gives a warning to those who would speak for God. In verse 5, he says, everything that they do, that's the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the chief priests, all that. everything they do is for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. So the phylacteries, if you've ever seen um, Orthodox uh, Jewish people wearing something on their forehead or on their wrist, a phylactery is a box where a little set of like the Ten Commandments are kept. The idea was that the law of God was always on their mind. It, it, was, it was this outward symbol. And so he says, hey, you make sure to have, like, the biggest phylacteries possible so everybody can see, oh, I've got, really got God's law on my mind, or it's really close, you know, it's really something a big deal. The tassels at the end of their robes, which were part, you know, if you've seen, I mean, any anything from, uh, you know, just going to certain neighborhoods in certain parts of the country uh, to uh, fiddle around the roof to whatever, observant Jews, you know, that, They wear the tassels on the ends of of their garments. And he said, you guys make yours like extra large. So everybody sees how good you look. And if you're like, oh, that's anti-Semitic, Adam. No, no, remember, this is Jesus, a Jewish guy, talking to other Jewish people. And I could easily take this out and say, in America, there are churches and Christians that they do everything they can to look whatever their definition of holy is, as holy as possible. If holiness equals wearing nice clothes on Sunday morning, then we're going to wear the nicest clothes on Sunday morning. If holiness equals not wearing nice clothes but being as chill as possible, then we'll do the opposite. We are going to do whatever we think we have to do to look outwardly good. They love love the place of honor at the banquets, the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace, to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on this earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be a servant, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who are humbled themselves will be exalted. Now, I don't know what our friends in, in the Catholic or the Orthodox or other sort of traditions that have the title of father uh, do with that verse because it seems pretty clear that we're not supposed to do that. But somebody could just say, well, Adam, everybody calls you Pastor Adam. I don't care. If you just want to call me Adam or hey you or whatever, uh, pastor is my job and it is the office in the church that I hold. I'm an elder in the church. I'm a pastor in the church. That's what I, not just what I do, it's what I am but I don't need the title, and there are, there are types of churches like that, and you might think of a Catholic church. Um, there are certain types of uh, Pentecostal churches I can think of where everyone, you know, you get like a certain chair, and everyone, you know, sits in a certain chair, and everyone, you know, we all, we all have certain, you know, phrases for the pastor or whatever. I really hate being called reverend. I really hate all of that kind of pomp and circumstances around any of this, What Jesus is getting at is this idea of you don't need these kind of gurus. And to this day, you can go to Jerusalem and you will see ultra-Orthodox Jews and they're wearing different suits. And one suit is all black and another suit is black with pinstripes and another suit is white with black pinstripes. And another suit is black, but the pinstripes are really thick. And one suit, the pinstripes are really thin. And then one guy's wearing a small hat, and one guy's wearing a huge hat. What's going on? And then you find out that each of them are dressed exactly how their rabbi dresses. That for them, discipleship means I am going to do everything that he does, including how he dresses. So he likes that kind of suit. That's the suit I'm wearing. That kind of of, you know, kind of uh, homogeneity, that sort of like conformity is what Jesus is pushing against. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier. The church, if you go and read the book of the Revelation, what does it say about the church? Out of every tribe and tongue and nation and people, Jesus has called his church. And if you call people from all over the world, then the church will and should look diverse. The church is not just one group or one type of person. The church is diverse, and it should be diverse. But we prefer, let's be honest, we could say, oh, I agree with that. Why isn't Faith on Hill more diverse? Well, first of all, we're in a non-diverse, let's be honest about this. Milwaukee, Oak Grove, and Gladstone is one of the least diverse neighborhoods in Portland, in the greater Portland area. But second of all, even in some of the more diverse neighborhoods in the greater Portland area, people choose to segregate themselves. People choose to not be connected. I know of a church in another part of the city that has four churches that meet on the campus. There's a Slavic church, Eastern Europeans. There's a Korean church. There's a Hispanic church. And there's a a white English-speaking church. The four pastors have met. They know each other. Their churches have nothing to do with each other. That's terrible. That's a horrible situation. What Jesus is getting at is this idea of, you know, you guys have put this big show and you want all the honor. Jesus is saying, tear that business down. You know, get rid of that stuff. I find, I find that in our current context that sometimes a local pastor is elevated. That does happen sometimes. But in general terms, in the white evangelical church, it tends to be celebrity pastors that get venerated or celebrity figures, and they're not always pastors. You know, uh, they, may, they may eventually get ordained for like tax reasons, but they're not pastors. You know, Dave Ramsey doesn't pastor a church. Dr. Dobson never pastored a church. Uh, Ravi Zacharias didn't pastor a church. And I'm not trying to like call out, you know, well, Ravi Zacharias, I'll call out. I'm not trying to call out yet anybody. I'm just saying that what happens is there will be people who will venerate a celebrity and they'll say, hey, this guy said it, this person said it, so it's true. And it doesn't matter what what anybody else says, this person who I've put up as my rabbi, as my master, as my instructor, and if they've said it, then it is true. Instead of saying, hey, you know what? Maybe Dave Ramsey's got some really good things to say, but he's just a guy like anybody else and he's fallible like anybody else and we're here connected locally. Maybe we should be connected with each other more than we're connected with something that's, that's got no personal relationship. We just watch the videos. And then he gives warning to those who would speak for God. Verse 13, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourself do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So he warns those who would claim to speak for God. And all of us, in some ways, do, if you're a Christian. You know, I'm right now claiming to speak and teach the Word of God. We we bring our faith into the world around us as we live. And he says, hey, there are people who are trying to keep others out? He says in, in verse 13 that there were teachers of the law and there were people that were trying to come in and they were just shutting the gates. Here's a bunch of rules I've created. Remember that thing he said earlier about putting heavy burdens on other people and not lifting a finger to help? Here's a bunch of rules I've created. Here's a culture I have created that is designed to keep the insiders in and the outsiders out. And Jesus says, Woe to you. You are warned. It is not good that you are doing these things. And then he talks about somebody who goes and they go all over the world to reach a single person and convert them into faith. But what they're converting them into is this false faith. And he says, he said, you guys are going to hell. They're twice as bad because they, they don't know any better. And so they just go full bore into the, the lie that you've sold them. And then he warns those who create false standards. Verse 16, woe to you blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple they are bound by the oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar it means nothing but if anyone swears by the gift on the altar they are bound by the oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gold the gift sacred. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. You might go, what is all this swearing and oaths? What's going on here? Look, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no and get rid of all of these like oath making that was customary and cultural for them back then. Jesus said, just do what you say you're gonna do. But he's saying, hey, you guys are creating all of these weird rules, these false standards. And if you're presenting these as what God is saying, woe to you. And then he says, woe to those who present false righteousness. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, the mint, dill, and the cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guys, you, you strained out the gnat, but swallowed the camel. What does that mean? He, he's basically saying, like, you could have, like, a thing of, of, of wine, right? And you would have a strainer and you would pour the wine into another container and pour it through the strainer so that if there was like a, a, a gnat or a fly or some bug sitting on top of it, it would get strained out. So then you could drink without having bugs in your in your drink. And he's saying in this kind of joking way, like, hey, you you go through all of this work to strain out the little flies. You 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 go so far to be correct that you don't just tithe your, your wages, but you tithe even like, oh, I, I harvested this month much out of my little herb garden. I got to make sure I set aside a tenth of the mint and a tenth of the cumin and a tenth of the dill, which, fine, but what he's saying is you're, you're, you're making sure these little things are right, but these big issues, the camel gets into your stuff. It's, it's, you're looking at these little things, but the big issue is wrong. That's what he's saying. He's saying, woe to you, present false standards because you're looking at these little things and that's justifying you but there's massive things going wrong and because of those massive things going wrong people leave people walk people move they don't want to be around the church woe to you teachers of the law you hypocrites, you build tombs for the prophets. Or sorry, verse 27, you are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but inside is are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. "'Woe well, to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! "'You build tombs for the prophets "'and decorate the graves of the righteous. "'And you say, oh, if we had lived in the days "'of our ancestors, would we, have, we would not have taken part "'with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. "'So really, you testify against yourselves "'that you are the descendants "'of those who murdered the prophets. "'Go ahead, then, and complete what your ancestors started.'" And Jesus is speaking to them. He said, you say that if you had been there, you wouldn't have killed the prophets, but you're about to kill the Messiah one greater than the prophets. He says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape becoming condemned to hell? Verse 34, therefore I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers, and some you kill and crucified. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. You read the book of Acts. This happened. And so upon you will come the righteous blood that has been shed from all the earth, from the righteous, uh, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah, son of uh, Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar, truly I tell you this: all this will come on this generation. I want to say this: I have been so clear. Anti-Semitism has no place in Christianity. Anti-Semitism has no place in Christian faith. Our Lord and Savior Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish, primarily. Uh, the we have no place for anti-Semitism. This has no, uh, these verses are not speaking of, of uh, a condoning of pogroms or, or blood libel or anything like that. This is speaking of the coming justice or judgment on Jerusalem when the Roman Emperor Titus in 70 AD sacked the city. And we'll get more into that next week. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you as children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left desolate, for I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Look, there's all these problems. People are leaving the church, there's religious hypocrisy, There's all of these things that seem to be going wrong and that is the reason that the church, those who are left, who are faithful, need to engage. And we need to engage with God's ways for a couple of reasons. First is because Jesus affirms them. In verse three, he says, hey, yeah, these guys are hypocrites, but you need to do what they're saying because what they're saying is actually correct. And Jesus affirms the law of God, Jesus affirms that God's standards, his righteousness is true. And where Jesus is present, there is hope, there is peace, and there is healing. We proclaim Jesus as risen from the dead. We proclaim Jesus who forgives all sins. But we also proclaim Jesus who sends his Holy Spirit and gives us victory over sin in this life. We proclaim that Jesus frees us from the bondages of sin and death. And we have to engage with that because this world around us is dying. Drug use is rampant. Fentanyl death is on the rise. Mental health, suicide, all of these things are growing and growing and growing, and we proclaim victory. We proclaim hope. We proclaim peace. We proclaim healing. We proclaim healing for broken homes. We proclaim healing for broken lives. We proclaim forgiveness where there is just bitterness and antipathy. And if we walk away from the teachings of the apostles, if we walk away from the word of God, and if we say, you know what, a lot of the reason why people are leaving the church and these evangelicals are out there saying, you know what, I don't want anything to do with that, oh, well, we better disengage from the word of God. I actually think it's the opposite. The issue isn't disengaging with the word of God. The issue is living as the word of God says. We need to engage because that's where Jesus is. And we need to engage because the heart of Jesus is for the lost and the wandering and the distant. What does he say from verse 37 through verse 39? He says, Jerusalem, you are so lost. And I want to gather you. I want to, I want to take you and collect you. I want to bring you in. I want to restore you. And there will come a day when that will happen. And if that's Jesus' heart, if his heart is for the lost, if his heart is for the wandering, if his heart is for the, those who are distant, then our heart needs to be the same because I want the same heart as my Lord. If, if Jesus' love is for all who wander, then Lord, fill me with that same love for those who wander so that we can be a people and a place that does what you do, bring people in. You know what? There's a lot of people who leave the church and sometimes the reasons are valid and sometimes they're not. I can't control what other people do. I can't control what's been done to you, although I'm happy to sit and listen. I'm happy to hear your story. I'm happy to grieve with you. I can't control others, but I can control my own life and I can help to influence the church family that we're a part of and say, are we a place that firmly engages with the word of God, with the truth of God, but we actually live in the love of God? Uh, Are we a church that does actually do the things that Jesus is talking about? Because it feels like the decision is either to double down on on sort of this weird, warped, cultural Christianity that doesn't seem to be doing anybody any good— Or to double down on getting rid of all of it and just saying, yeah, we'll just throw it all out. And we like the concept of Jesus as an archetype, but we're just going to be a social club. I don't believe in either. I believe that Jesus is changing lives. I believe that the church of Jesus organizes together on his mission and that we are and can be a place of life change. And that's what God's called us to do. And people are leaving the church, yes, Can we be a place that they come back to and that they feel safe walking in? And it's gonna take some time. It's gonna take, quite honestly, patience because you know what? Trust has been broken and people will have to learn, hey, can we trust these guys or not? That's fair. But I believe that Jesus is telling the truth when he says, yeah, those guys are hypocrites. Yeah, that situation is messed up. Yeah, that's not how it's supposed to be. But the word of God is still true and this world around us is more messed up. And this world around us, you think things are bad inside the church? Things are far worse outside of the church. You think things are messy here? Things are far messier there. And I just want to go where Jesus is. And if Jesus is in the middle of the mess in the church, then that's where I want to be, because Jesus is where the action is. And you know what? I I don't think I answered anybody's questions, but hopefully I raised questions. Hopefully I started conversations. And if you have questions, if you want to be part of the conversations, we have our small groups. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com. You can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. If you just want to, hey, I want to talk about this. But know that Jesus, Jesus knows where you've been and where you're going, and he wants to walk with you through that journey. We'll see you next week. God bless you.